Arteta! What a strike! Look, I'm not sure you needed another sign of the apocalypse, but Lacazette scored away. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Look, there's enough signs of the apocalypse, so I don't know that we needed Lacazette to score an away goal, but he did. I am thrilled he did it. Good for him, and hopefully it is not uh, the the fourth horseman or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> so what are we going to do? We're going to talk about uh, what feels like really big 2-0 away win. And probably debate a little bit the distinction between a great performance and a great result and the criteria for those things. Um, there were some interesting performances, to say the least, in this. And maybe the best performance of all was from the manager, from Arteta. And uh, I think he will come in for a lot of praise in this pod. But you know what? Rather than predicting the future, let's just start the podcast. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter at Stubardo. Hello, Tim. Hello there. <clears throat> Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Recording a little earlier than usual today, uh, U.S. time, so my voice still waking up. Got a nice piping hot cup of coffee uh, that may or may not be endowed with additional components. Uh, the less said, the better. It is a Monday morning, after all. It is a work day. But so, uh, yeah, we're going to dive into this. Trust, and, trust me. No, never too early. I mean, I mean, it is, yes, it can be too early. But anyway, uh, so we have... Uh, just really, really quick announcement. Like, this podcast is always going to be what it always has been. We will have a post-match pod for you after every single game as we have. Um, and then when the games start to slow down, if that ever happens, uh, we will have podcasts once or twice a week for transfer news and headlines and looking forward and things like that. And then over on the Patreon side, it's a preview pod. It's an instant reaction pod. That's the sort of um, rhythm that we've fallen into, the cadence of, of, of how it's going to work. So a little something for everyone. And, and I want to say thanks uh, for listening, whichever you're listening to, both one or the other makes no difference. We're just happy to have you here. So with all that having been said, uh, Paul, I think real quick special mention to you. Uh, you had a sort of fundraising effort, an impromptu fundraising effort on Twitter for a oh young God. woman who needed a, a medical procedure. And in the United States, obviously we do it the smart way. You have to crowdfund money to pay for life-saving surgery. Uh, what could be better? But all sort of dark humor aside, you were able to... to enlist the help of the Arsenal community to raise the money she needed for a life-saving procedure. So I, I just want to sort of call you out and credit you for that because that was fantastic. Yeah, I just want to say thanks to everybody. I mean, uh, I maybe I come across as hard-hearted, and I am. Maybe I've told way too many gooners to go and ask themselves, but they, they seemed to be able to put this to one side this weekend. It was just astounding. Um, this, this girl, Vanessa, she's a friend of my daughter's, and uh, she's one of those that falls through the cracks. It, it was kind of interesting because I made a comment about the U.S. healthcare system failing her. And, of course, people have different uh, feelings on the U.S. healthcare system in the U.S. And some people took umbrage with it and still donated to the cause. And, like, Gooners are just amazing. We were just looking for, like, 300 people to give $10. And... We totally annihilated uh, annihilated it. It was it was a madness, and people are brilliant, and it's just phenomenal. And I could give you the whole story, but you can also read it on yeah, on my can, timeline. There, people the timeline. are people are brilliant. Just yeah, I mean, absolutely brilliant. And uh, 
let's just say I had a bit of a life-changing moment this weekend. But as the saying goes, it's not about me. It really isn't. It was about everybody else and Vanessa. So thank you so much. Yeah, literally uh, saving someone's life. Hard-pressed to to do something more valuable than that on the old uh, social media. So kudos to you and and to everybody who gave generously and and to her, uh, of course, and we Mm -hmm. wish her the best. So... Uh, that'll be your contribution for the pod, Paul. So you can go on mute now for the next forty-five minutes. Um, Clive, I, I, I'm kind of curious with it, with respect to the lineup that we we used for this game. I mean, it certainly feels now like, at least for the duration of this season, we might be a back three team. Now, Arteta may surprise me, and we may switch from that, but it's been working, and he and he seems happy to stick with it. I. I was sort of confused as to why Kolasinac kept his spot at left center back, and, and we'll probably dive into his performance individually a little more. But it occurs to me that had Pepe been available, we may have seen Tierney in the Cola role, Saka as a, a left wing back, and Pepe on the right. The unavailability of, of Pepe and Reese Nelson having just played the game before meant that Saka was in a role where he's less comfortable, which meant Kolasinac had to come in, which is a little less than ideal. So I think those things played a part. So... For you, did you feel this lineup was intention or sort of a forced on him by circumstance? Uh, probably a little bit of both. I was um, I was a bit shocked. I didn't. I wasn't really in an attentive place to understand where the lineup. And I was a bit shocked that Beppe wasn't playing. I didn't see all the. Didn't see what happened beforehand. And when I saw Saka right, I was sort of a little bit disappointed because the one time I've seen him there, he hasn't had a great game. But what I will say about him is that when he's not having a great game, he doesn't let you down. He still works very, very hard. So he's never going to go below a six out of ten because he's just that type of player. He's just sensible. And so so yeah, for me, I was thinking, okay, the back three, I I actually I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the back three anyway. Um just really from a coaching perspective, I just understand it a bit better and understand how to change it and how it can be changed and how you can go with the flow of a game. So I, I tend to like it and I like it with this group of players because I don't think they're super elite in, in big spaces. And so by having this system, what you give them is comfort of distances and you give them exit plans. So when you give players that may be struggling for some form some form of form and consistency, you can make them feel comfortable in and out of possession, then that's 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 good, right? So that gives you a start point. So I've always sort of veered towards it. In the future, I'd like to see us move towards an adult system, which the elite teams play, but we're not there yet with personnel and and knowing what the manager wants. So I like this system and I understand why he plays um I see David Luiz in the centre and when he signed his contract I intimated on a conversation with Andrew that potentially this is the way we're gonna go and the very next game we started to go this way. And similar for Pablo Marie who I think also looks good in the back three. And where we build up, we tend to build up with like this anyway. So I can see these type of ball playing defenders coming to our club in the future. And it's more about what they do on the ball and how they receive the ball and how comfortable they look, which allows us to push up and our midfields become a different type of midfielder. right? So they're not coming to the back line. The back line can do two jobs. It can defend and it can build up. And and I, with Colosina, compared to, so for example, Holding, I just think the way he receives the ball and moves it and also the fact that you have to go in and out on that role from the touchline to the center areas. I just think he's happier in both spaces than I'd say holding is. And when we have holding in our minds around what he is as a back three player, 
I think we for, we forget how much time he has to spend on the touchline, and it's not a place where I think he's best used. And it's a place where he actually got injured, and I think it's a a bad area for him to be. He's a back four centre half and one of the two. So, um, see, so yeah, I can see it. Um, your points about Saka and Tierney was well made. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Um, I I wonder what the team would have been. Would it have been Pepe? Saka and um, Abamyang as, as a front three, and Eddie not play. I was thinking that in my mind. I was looking. He's never really done it though, team. has he? He, he, he I don't hasn't. Think he's done it yet. But I was just thinking there that this is the best team that we played away for a long time. You know, but you know that we got a chance of beating. And I thought this is the time to see that three. When Pep was there, I was quite disappointed. But yeah, I get it. I, I like what he does. Mm. I like the system. I like what he does, and then. I think it was a a very competitive start of the game for us. Yeah, I said a new personal best in humiliating myself on Twitter in in terms of just the the, uh, speed with which, the alacrity with which I was able to do it because I tweeted out the... my my first little um, conniption fit over Pepe not being in the team. And I think it was only 45 seconds to a minute later that Arsenal announced that he was with his wife for them to give birth to their child. So congratulations to them and to me for setting a new personal best on match day. Tim... I, you know, this is a game where I have a lot of praise for Arteta rather than necessarily individual players because I think you see the organization, you see the commitment, you see the way he's teaching during the drinks breaks, you see the changes now that he's making with his substitutes having the desired effect and he feels more comfortable doing that. But in terms of the individual performances and some of the patterns of play, you know, I, th- I think this was a battling win more than it was a swashbuckling win, which is fine against a team that had been won, you know, three all three of their their games since Project Restart without allowing a goal. Now, the the focus for me continues to be midfield, and what I'm seeing with the back three is that a lot of the final third entry responsibility comes from those wide center backs. Mustafi, three of ten on it. Kolasinac hardly did it at all. Emmy Martinez had one more final third entry in this game than Granite Xhaka did. I, I still see that midfield as a problem, especially when there's only two in there. Um, now, in previous games, Shaka had sat deeper, and the player, whether it was Ceballos or Willick that was partnered with him, went forward and had a little more attacking influence. In this game, I thought that they played a little more on plane with each other and pushed up, and all the passes went sideways. If you look at a pass map from Shaka, and, and Matt has his in the, the stats review that he does on Discord, you see a lot of sideways passes out to the wings, out to the fullback, out to, you know, whether it's... Um, uh, to uh, Kolasinac just to his left and behind him, or whether it's to Tierney on the left, there, there's almost no final third entry coming from Shaka. And I'm curious if you think that what we're seeing from from him in this midfield role is him doing the best he can in this tactical setup, or if it reveals a bit of game limitation in that when he gets it between the lines, the thing that frustrated me in this game, I thought there were times he could turn, he could face, he could give it to runners, he could link with the forwards, and... And that's not his game. And so it's not a criticism of him saying he's bad or he was bad in this game, but just that you see that maybe we need a different profile in that position. Did did you feel the same way as you watched us try to break them down uh, from the midfield? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I, think, um, I think the thing is we kind of... So I think one of the reasons we played Saka on the right, and I said this on the instant reaction pod, I, I don't like him there because I don't see him as an inverted forward. I think he's he's an outside player, not an inside player. But I think part of the reason um, was that that like 
that we missed him as a midfielder. And I kind of think we were shoehorning him in. And the reason we missed him as a midfielder and the reason I think that he's been such a revelation in that position is not just because he's a good player, but because he's got qualities that we don't have easily elsewhere, uh, particularly his ability to carry the ball. Um, you know, just just go back and look at that stoppage time winner at Sheffield United. You know, that's him in midfield uh, kind of dribbling away from pressure um, in the last minute of the game in the centre circle, then turning and driving forward. And we just don't have many players that do that. Um, maybe Willock's another one. Um, and, you know, and he made an impact again coming off the bench. But it it kind of makes you think... You know, if had Pepe been available, you're right. I, I think ultimately what we'd have seen is Tierney at left centre back and and Saka at left wing back, which again would probably be a little bit of a symptom of shoehorning, um, because I I think at the moment Saka's best position is that left central midfield position, and that's not just about him as an individual and me thinking about how we best look after him, but that that's that's three in midfield, right? You have wide central midfielders when there's three of them. And when there's two of them, you're right. They're kind of, they're on a plane. Um, you could probably toss like a bed sheet over the pair of them, a uh, bit of rope between them, um, almost like a foosball table. And, and I, I think what's clear with the back three, and I, I do like it because I think it, it suits the most amount of players at the moment. The, the thing we've got is we've got a clear exit plan with the ball. So we do like a defensive diamond shape. So you've got Louise at the base and then he's got his wide centre backs pushed out to his right and left and they're slightly ahead of him. And then at the tip of that diamond, you've got Granite Xhaka. So we've got a diamond that gets us out from the defensive third to the middle third, but we don't have that from the middle third to the final third because we don't have Ozil there. Um, And the nearest we've gotten to it is having Saka on the left kind of Saka, a mixture of Saka and Tierney, like just driving up the left-hand side. And so I, I guess one of my, it is a worry for me, a, a slight worry for me moving forward. I've, I've said for years that, um, and I guess like a lot of teams probably think this about their teams, that if football was 12 aside, Arsenal would, would be really, really good. <laughs> like I've all, I've felt for so long, like there's always just that play you just think god if we could just put one more player in you know like in the Coquelin and Cazorla days you just think yeah and if we could have just put like another midfielder that kind of makes up for Coquelin's lack of technical ability there then you know and and I kind of feel that at the moment as well I feel a little bit like the right hand side is maybe still a bit of a, a a kind of wasteland is is putting it too strongly but it, it feels a little bit too null and void still and and yeah, and I, I feel like we need that those kind of wide central midfield players. But it's basically what you're seeing in the Arsenal lineup is a bit of a battle between the fact that our defence isn't quite good enough and our midfield isn't quite good enough. So it's where do you put the extra body? And at the moment, we're putting it in defence and I completely understand why we're doing that. Um, but yeah, that that's why I think there'll be some flexibility there. I, I don't think we're absolutely, that Arteta's absolutely married to the back three in perpetuity. I think we'll see it for the next few games because they're tough ones. Um, but let's say when we play um, Villa, for example, I wouldn't be surprised to see a back four then and us say, right, let's get the extra body in midfield. So yeah, in, in, in conclusion, basically our, our midfield and our defence just aren't quite good enough. 
and it's a question of where do you put that extra player and and whichever department doesn't get that extra player will suffer yeah i mean it, it is a feature of our game since project restart that we just and maybe all season that we haven't been creating a lot of chances through the center of the pitch that that things are being funneled out wide and there's clearly an intention to do that which is okay um but i i I can't really decide if I think that it's entirely intention versus what the players on the pitch are really capable of doing. So I'm torn. I'm torn there in in terms of can we be getting more in central spaces from those midfielders or is the system really set up not to create those opportunities? And in this game, I just thought there were some interesting positions that were taken up both by Ceballos and Shaka, but particularly by Shaka between the lines, a little more advanced than usual where he could have turned and distributed um, to the forwards making runs. And, you know, to be fair to the guy, that's that's not his game. It's never been his game, and that doesn't mean he's not good. It means that's a position that maybe is not a, a clean fit for him. But, Paul, I, I want to talk about Saka just for a second. You know, the, the goal he scores is wonderfully taken. It is the winner. And, it you know, it comes at a time when the game felt cagey. And, you yeah. know, they had that early first-minute chance to Traore um, that Martinez snuffed out well. And, and then really just a, a tactical battle, you might say, for a while uh, with, with not a lot of clean chances at either end. Saka breaking the deadlock there is the kind of thing you have to have in your team. And I, I think this is why he's such a huge talent. I think it's fair to say that Reese Nelson played the role that Saka was given better in his start than Saka mm-hmm. did in this game. But Saka scores a goal. Saka has the end product. I mean, the reason Alex Iwobi isn't an Arsenal player anymore is because he never had the end product. And so for you, when you, you look at a performance like this where he gave it away a bit, he didn't look as comfortable, and admittedly that's that's probably not a position where he's going to want to play regularly. He still finds the movement, finds the space, takes advantage of a, a little deflection and 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 finishes it off. I mean, that's what separates the, the players who can contribute from the really special ones, right? That they find a way to... To, to win the game even when it's not their day. Yeah, um, I think you you summarized it really well. I think uh, it, Arteta said as well that he had been struggling in the first half. And, uh, you know, on the rewatch, it was even more apparent uh, that pretty much everything he tried to do before that hadn't really come off. Um, I kind of feel like, look, Saka... I think in the future will be really good playing from the right because he's going to be really good playing anywhere you put him. So in some ways, this was an investment in Saka. Uh, it may take a bunch more games before he's good from the right, but this boy can do anything basically <clears throat> within reasonable limits. And I think you're exactly right. He, the one thing he brings is he'll get that goal. It, it was He was asked afterwards about you know, how he came up with this goal, and he had a rational explanation. Um, but I think that's rationalization after the fact. You could see when he hit this ball that he knew exactly what he was doing and that he hit it exactly the way he wanted, and it went exactly what where he wanted it to go. <clears throat> and the guy's kind of, he's got a bit of the worldy in him. Um, and so when you put that with the fact that he wasn't actually having a particularly good game in his role in this position. Um, he, he was unfazed. Uh, the the ball bounces up, and he he hits this delicious volley. Doesn't hit it too hard. Goes for placement. Knows he uses. It's the old kind of kung fu martial arts using the the momentum of your opponent. He he uses the way the ball's coming to him, 
and he just delivers it into the corner there, rip, rippling the net. Um, the guy's class, I think, I do genuinely think he'll be an option from the left in the middle, uh, but very often dropping from the left into the middle, that role we saw last time he played on, on the wing there. And he'll be an option from the right. I mean, he's just, he's got a glorious touch. He makes time for himself. He's going to make defenders back off. So his ability to cut in from the right um, and, and to buy time and to keep his head up. He's so cool. Um, he's a he's a lovely fella talking. I, I still go back to the apologizing for the fact that his negotiations took so long. I mean, yeah. he's just a great kid, a tremendous asset. <clears throat> um, but he didn't he didn't have a great first half. I think uh, you just keep investing in him because to be able to, uh, we'll talk about Maitland Niles and what he brings in terms of options. Yep. And here you have somebody operating at a world kind of just in and around a potential worldie from three positions around the front. That does you all sorts of good uh, in terms of team building, squad building, options, etc. That frees up all sorts of cash to do all sorts of things. So I, I think it's an investment and one that'll pay off. This this was kind of another installment from playing him from the right. Yeah, I mean, it, there are certain players you just find a position for them on the pitch because they're going to do something good during the game. And I, I think this was a quintessential example of it. I think Tim on the Instant Reaction Pod made a really good point, though. I, I don't see him on the right because I think he's a player that likes to run outside um, not come inside. I think Pepe likes to to try to come inside, and I, I think that Saka likes to go outside. And once he gets there, whether it's to the byline or overlapping, when the ball's at his feet, he likes to dribble inside, right? And he likes to come back to the center and, and wrong-foot the defenders and, and curl them into the box and things like that. I think from this position... Uh, I yep. would like to disagree with Tim, though. Okay, we'll do it. For the second time in history, just in the sense, I think Saka is one of those guys who can do whatever he wants. E even if Tim's right, he'll always be best from the left. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, it all depends where your instincts are to run in the dribble, right? I mean, when you're on the right, if you want to carry the ball out to the right, you've got the touch line there. It makes it easier to for you to be defended, right? Because the defender can use the touch line. If you your instinct is to run infield, you're running into the teeth of the defenders. So I, I don't, I mean, it's just a totally different look. Also, he had to play a little deeper in this game than he has when he's been on the left. Um, you know, that, that role has been a tricky one, whether it's Bellerin doing it as a wingback or whether it's Saka doing it there, or whether it's Pepe doing it with, you know, with not a ton of effectiveness. The right side has been a bit of a challenge for us. Clive, look, I know you're really happy about this game in general and you felt great about it. I did as well. It felt the result felt huge. And, and, I mean, there, there's, there are things I love about this game without it ever being a great performance. And I think some of it is just seeing structure and game plan and execution and things like that. In that first half where I think we were better, uh, we had a pretty bad period at the start of the second half. But in the first half, I thought we were better. The pattern of play seemed to be them trying to get it to Traore, him running at our you know ramshackle collection of defenders, us winning it off him and then trying to get it up the wings and progress it that way. I mean, how did you feel about the pattern of play the first half and... and that sort of tactical solidity and, and the the way we wanted to try to hurt them on the wings, which admittedly seems to sort of be our modus operandi right now. I think um, the game started and I felt Wolves made a mistake. They thought they'd get us on the counter-attack. They said, oh, we're quicker than them. We'll run them backwards. After the stupid, they'll give us the ball. 
And so they just sat back into a mid-block. And what all that did was allow us to get comfortable, get our slippers on, start moving the ball around, start moving them around. And we moved the ball around quite accurately. And I felt quite good. I think, oh, this is good. You go into these games a little bit of fear. I mean, our way record in the last few years is not great, isn't it, against teams above us. So Or below us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, so the first thing is I'm thinking, well, we're, we're, not, we're in control of this. This is good. And then when we did lose it, I thought we were really good with defensive pressures and I thought we looked competitive. So straight away, I'm like super excited because Wolves are quite a robust, strong, hard-running team. And I'm looking at the screen thinking, we're, we're, we're okay. We look good. If you look at our team selection in, in hindsight, it's quite a good defensive selection. You know, all the front front three can defend. Do you know what I mean? And then I felt obviously Tobias a little bit light in that regard, but he's no slouch statistically on, on tackles. You know, so he tries. He may not be the best running across the ground, but he tries really hard. As to Shaka. So it's quite a good defensive team now. So I quite like that. So I'm thinking, right, we're competitive, we're competitive, we'll start moving it. And I think our confidence grew. I, I'm a huge, you know, it's, it's something I said online that the game is literally now four quarters. You know, it, it's, it's like a basketball game, right? So, so, so now you have the opportunity to adjust. I felt we adjusted better after the first drinks break, and we won. We we controlled Q1. We sort of won Q2, and that was really key. And I felt we grew just before halftime. A lot of that was based on feeling confident in our defensive work. I think the only couple of times he tried or get it, turn around and run through spaces. But he's a little bit uncontrolled. He took some wild shots. You know, in fact, if anything, the, the save in the first couple of minutes was probably the most important action or the first minute because if they had scored then, I think we'd all been depressed. You know, so um, that was very brave, really good save. And I just felt we're, we're, we're improving. We're improving. Our co- you have to have confidence to keep pressing the ball. You have to have collective buy-in to keep pressing the ball, to keep pressing it, keep pressing it, keep doing it, knowing if you go, you're not going to go on your own. You're going to go with, with bodies coming with you. And we did that a lot. And I felt it surprised Wolves. I think Wolves, thought, if you watch a lot of Wolves games, they're about strength teams, they're about power teams, particularly late on. And I felt in this game, Arteta used the breaks, used the ability to turn up the power gauge. And as we go, I'm sure you're going to substitutions in the second half, when people dropped off on the power, he added more power late on. And I felt we outpowered them. And in the end, they were the ones that broke their structure. They were the ones that ran out of energy. What they did in adversity looked quite ragged. And their edges didn't look as smooth as we'd seen, you know, looking from afar as a hustle fans looking at wolves. When things go their way, I thought we took away their strength wonderfully late in the game by getting under them, by taking away the outside of Traore. We took away the inside. Then when he went to a touchline, he wants to go outside. And we said, no, nah, you're not going outside. We're going to put Maitland-Niles out there. And he's a right-footed guy. He's going to drive you inside. If he, even if he lets you turn, you know, he's going to drive you inside. You're going to come inside to the crowd scene with Shaka and Klasnik. And, and we're not going to allow you to do what you want to do. And I thought... You know, I'm sure you guys have, well, I didn't, I'm sure you guys agree. I thought from a coaching perspective, this was Arteta's best game on everything he did was The adjustments perfection. were great. Yeah, the, the, especially perfection. the subs and then the, the second half drinks break where they had been on top of us pretty substantially in, right after halftime and, and he adjusted and we got the game back under he control. He made all his that. changes before he needed to. Yeah, which yeah. Which was brilliant. Brilliant. And and I mean, I think the one thing we're seeing now, and this is just, this is where you don't know how much to evaluate Project Restart 
in the context of what next season will be like. I think the drinks breaks change the tactical approach. Um, but in addition to the drinks breaks, I also think the the fatigue of these teams playing so often right now in the summer months means that late in the game, it is about who can be refreshed, who still has running power. And the fact that we had the lead too, I don't think hurt because they had to come at us more. And as they were tiring, you could see towards the end, we could have battered them if we were a little more clinical. So Tim, um, I'm curious to get your take on the defensive uh, performance because this game could have been very different had Tierney not had a pretty darn good game at times covering for Kolasinac. And, and Paul, you're going to get your chance in here too because I know this is something you want to talk about. Um, there were a number of situations where Kola let a guy run or didn't handle a situation and and Tierney had to mop up. And I, I was super impressed with the work he did tracking runners, sometimes two of them. There was that one obvious moment where he he did have two runners to track and he turns around to Cole and he's like, I've got two men, what's going on? Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that, that Tierney's performance winds up being sort of a critical one here because at times he was sort of bailing his partner out in addition to doing his job as well? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I thought what was interesting about this, uh, you know, I, I agree with Clive that Wolves made a mistake and uh, one of the mistakes they made is they haven't been starting Traore, that I think I'm right in saying this is the first time he started um, since the break. Uh, Yeah, yeah, they've been bringing him on for the last 20, 30 minutes. And what they did this time, and the reason he doesn't start, is actually he's not always a great fit for their system, because if they want to play him, they have to play him as a right wing back. Mm. Um, And actually they've got Doherty there, who's, who's really, really good at that role and is a player they don't want to drop out. So they kind of tried to play Traore in a bit of a free role, as almost as a second striker. And I think they were shoehorning him in, um, to be honest. I don't think it's it's a role that really suits him. Um, I think he's 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 a touchline type guy. Um, and what they did was they went, mm, we we really we really think that um, they, they almost went with a, a fairly understandable stereotype. I think they thought uh, Arsenal are Arsenal are easy for like um or sorry Arsenal are ripe for a player like Traore, which to be fair, a lot of us felt as well. Um, and so I, I'm, I'd be really interested to know whether Arteta expected him to start or whether he expected him to come on for the last half an hour. And it makes me wonder about that Maitland-Niles substitution with half an hour to go. I, I said on the instant reaction pod, I wondered if there was an element to which that was pre-planned um, to have, you know, to basically, because it's, it's um, you know, it's a real jewel. It's a real t- tough time he gives you. And, and effectively what you've got is a left-sided centre-half and a left-back. And on top of that, if you say, well, actually, if we just say to the left back, I'll give you 60 minutes, go hell for leather, and then we'll take, you know, we'll take you off and put put another guy in there. I'm not so sure about that. I I do just wonder if, you know, we were expecting him to start. And and the thing is as well, because what they gave up was they left uh, Diego Jota um, on the bench. and, And I think that was a mistake. He's a really good player and I think they really missed him. And the thing is about Wolves is they're very structured, not just about the way they defend, but about the way they attack. Mm. And I think they took an important piece out to put Traore in as, as maybe a bit of a wild card. I, I, I think that's a fairer comment given the free role that he was given. I think if you put him on the right wing, he's not a wild card. He's just a really good right winger. But And, and so I, I guess I'm interested... Um, it's difficult to know because it's difficult to know what we were expecting, whether we were expecting Traore to start. 
But with Tierney, I, I completely agree. I, th- I thought he did a really, really good job. I think um, the thing is with, with Traore is he can just leave you. Um, and that's the thing. And that's, again, I said on the instant reaction pod, I kind of, I'm all right with Kalasinac strength-wise against Traore, but not pace-wise. Um, and I guess with Tierney and Kalasinac, you kind of, you put them together, you've got both really. So what you do is you have Tierney cover the space on that kind of outside left um, and you give him the touchline and you give him the task of keeping up with the guy. And if and when he, he bursts past you, you give Kalasinac, he's almost like the bouncer, right? Mm. So like he's, he kind of just stands there and goes, right, okay, I'll play in the shorter space near the touchline and you know, I'll try and use my strength. So I, I think there was definitely an element to which there was a tag team uh, tactic going on here. Um, and, and you know, the introduction of, of Maitland-Niles latterly was, uh, was, was really, really clever for the reasons Clive says, actually, kind of just putting a right footer out there, just kind of shepherded him in field. And again, Maitland-Niles is someone who you'd back to keep up with him for pace. Um, so I, so yeah, I was, I was really, really impressed with, with Tierney. Um, I think you've seen why he can play that left center back and that left back role. He Mm. has got the properties to do both of those things. Um, and I do wonder, like you said, had, had Pepe been fit, whether it had been Saka left wing back. Um, again, I'm not so sure about that just because I'm not so sure that, that Saka's defensive chops uh, would have been up for that kind of challenge. But there, there was definitely an element to which I think the tactic was probably um, Tierney, if you kind of um, keep up with him for pace and then shepherd him into this area where we'll put the incredible Hulk Kalasinac, you know, together, maybe that's a good way of mitigating that threat. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still think if Nuno Santo could have his time again, I think he'd leave Traore on the bench and play Diogo Jota. Diogo Jota. <clears throat> Interesting. You know, I think it's sort of your point, though, Tim. You know, you say if you're the opposing manager, you try to find the dope, right? And I think yep. that that he probably looked at our back line and said, if I can get Adama Traore running in space at those defenders, I like those odds. That's my easiest way to get chances to have Adama Traore running at those central defenders. And, you know, especially if it's Kolasinac on the left, I think spot the dope. He's it. We're going to go after him. And, you know, I think what we saw in this game is a combination of Arsenal just about dealing with it. And also the fact that Traore, for as elite as a, a dribbler as he is, and he undeniably is, he is not the finished article. This is not a player that is, you know, about to go for a hundred million to Barcelona or Real Madrid. And the reason he's not is because Aside from the dribbling, he is an incomplete player. And I thought he was pretty poor in this game, candidly. He got a lot wrong. He got the finish wrong and a pretty clear chance. He had the first-minute chance, too. Uh, he gave the ball away. He made some mistakes. He was still difficult to, to live with, but I don't think he's, you know, the finished article. And and so we did just about get away with it. And And I think that the decision to start him makes sense in the context of, of who he was going up against. But I thought we lived with it okay. Now... Paul, as you know, I felt Kolasinac was the weak link. I don't really understand why Arteta is picking him. I think that you could just as easily play a 4-3-3 with Shaka in midfield and let him drop into the back three and make it a five if you want and you get more. One of the things from Kolasinac that I think is a problem is his passing. And you can say, well, he passed at 84% in this game. No problem. Setting aside the conservativeness of those passes from a position that really has more final third entry responsibility right now, look at Mustafi, he attempted 10 final third entries in the game. Um, 
But but I think the issue is, Paul, like, look at his clearances. By far and away, had the most clearances. And clearances are sometimes listed as a positive stat. But as Matt points out in the, in the data review, they're not a positive stat. They're times that you gave the ball back to the other team rather than passing it to a teammate. And, you know, again, I, I think that when you turn possession over like that, when you're not as comfortable on the ball to just, you know, keep possession, when, when you drift out of your hole, when you do let your runners go by you, I mean, those were the things that were happening in this game. So... I know you see it a little differently. You rewatched the game and felt he was okay. I mean, do you want to provide the opposing view for Kolasinac as perfectly viable player in this game? Yes. Yes, I will. Please um, do it. So, look, he, yeah, he, um, he dropped some clangers, and he's not a center back, and there were a couple of times where his focus lapsed, and he ball-watched uh, trotting. But on the big, uh, I think it's on the big, um, Traore opportunity late in the second half when he goes one-on-one versus Martinez. Uh, Kolasinac ball watches and forgets there's a guy on the pitch called Traore coming up on his shoulder. Um, and I think he has at least one other lapse of attention. Um, that's of significance. Um, I think the reflection <clears throat> that... They played to play against the dope. I mean, it doesn't really matter if the dope, dope turns out not to be a dope. I think Tim has it exactly right. It was a double team we were playing on that side uh, against Traore, be it uh, Kolasinac and Tierney or Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles. I think Maitland-Niles was astoundingly good when he came on. Um, and I think the idea that he came on as a closer, that it was a pre-planned sub, as Tim talked about, against Traore, be it playing a full game or playing the last 30 or 40 minutes of the game. Um, Arteta had that one locked and loaded. Uh, there's no way he just kind of late in the game thought, oh, I'll, I'll get uh, Maitland-Niles on. He, you know, he took the other ammunition for that argument is that he took Tierney off before we thought there was a problem with Tierney. Um, so it, it was an early substitution in the second half that locked up that side, and I thought Maitland-Niles was exceptional. The idea that Tierney was perfect and Kolasinac was crap is totally wrong, in my opinion. I expected big things from Tierney in this. I think he struggled quite often against Traore when they were 1v1. Um, to some degree, it was a pre-planned stay the hell away from him unless unless you feel covered, unless it's out wide. But he gave him a lot of space. I think he got done a few times. I love Tierney. But the idea that the problems were only one guy, it was any time somebody was isolated against Traore, they were in trouble. Well, yeah, I that's true for, for anybody. Mo- I mean, yeah. yeah. And I think for the most part, they did really well. I think the star in this system was not so much Kolasinac, not that he was a star either way, but the system. And I think Arteta... I mean, Arteta didn't leave him on for 60 minutes and se- or 70 minutes like Tierney and then get him off. He left him on for 90-something minutes um, where people had kind of, uh, kind of uh, almost booed when they saw him in the lineup to start with. So he kind of knew what he was getting with this, and he wasn't too unhappy with it. I think, you know, Clive talked about our midfield and our attack kind of pressing we were very pressing. We pressed them a lot in the, the their final third, or rather our final third against them. We pressed them in midfield. You'd see Chaka pushing way up, the bias pushing way up, and you saw Mustafi pushing way up, 
and Kolasinac running upfield. This kind of 10 or 15 yard charge up, bang into the back of the guy, knock the ball away from him, run back. And Mustafi and Kolasinac did that all game long. Nobody did it against Traore better than Kolasinac, letting him know of, of the presence there. So I, I think we have decided to judge him as if he's uh, an outfielder playing the ball, which currently he's got no form. I mean, his passing's terrible. His football's terrible. Within this system, I think he gave Arteta exactly what he expected. Um, Tim used the line I would have used, which was as a bouncer. Um, he He was a physical presence that said to them, you may beat us, but you're not going to out-muscle us. And we don't have a lot of beef along that back line. Tierney, I mean, look at the guy. He's he, he he's fading away at the moment. He, he needs a year or two to fill out a bit more. But he had Kolasinac behind him. And I don't think you can take the, the success the two of them had in mostly locking that down and say, oh, this guy was great and that guy was terrible. I think Kolasinac, time and time again, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, that was good. Oh, that was good. Now, what's he doing? He's banging into a guy. He's pushing up. He's <laughs> running. He's he's yeah. on his job. And he had lapses. I, you know, I, I'm not looking for a new project. My Mustafi and my, my Chaka's gone better than I might have expected. I'm holding on by my fingernails there. I'm not looking for Kolasinac's as the guy I have to defend each week. But I thought he gave Arteta what he was looking for in this system. The system worked. Uh, you, you portray it as we were kind of, we were kind of lucky to hang on. That's kind of football, though. Oh no, I I don't I don't um, mean that. As, I, I don't as mean that. As performances we're... go, I would say this was the best of its type in several years. Where I thought, oh yeah, we played them, we handled them, hmm. um, we we went away with a very tactical. Arteta described them as as complicated, and you know he played this as a chess game, yes. and he every piece that stayed on the board for ninety minutes, he was happy with. I. D- just to make sure that we're not mischaracterizing my perception of this, I thought this was an excellent tactical performance. I, I don't think it was a a vintage, entertaining performance. I thought it was an excellent mm-hmm. tactical performance. I'm not by no means am I critical of what the team did in this game to get this result. I think some of the analysis you have of Klosinac, in my opinion, is a little bit results oriented because. You know, I look at Mustafi, and when Mustafi's at his absolute nadir, like, what was Mustafi doing? Was he terrible for 90 minutes? Not remotely. He was doing a few things every game that absolutely killed us. And unfortunately for Mustafi, they were punished but, but to no, maximum effect. But no, it was worse than effect. that. Mustafi had become a bad defender. He sure, had. Okay, I, well, I mean, I... I kinda, and I, he was in a two-man system, and the system was coming apart, he was bad. It was bad. Sure, no, uh, Kolasinac look, I, was fulfilling his role, and the system was working. I, I'm, and again, I think you're mischaracterizing what I'm saying about him. I'm not saying he played well as a footballer. I'm saying within the system, it worked. Okay, and it worked partly because of his his attributes and characteristics. I'm not defending. He's absolute dog shit at the moment with the ball at his feet. Um, so don't right, miss. Paul, all I meant was sort of that, like what I'm saying. if. You know, Mustafi would make an error and be punished. And I think if Traore scores what is a relatively straightforward finish, we are 1-1, and Kolasinac has the chance to be the GOAT in an otherwise organized team performance. And I think 
you know, there were a couple things. There was a moment where Achari was running at the box. He could have scored in the first minute of the game. Yeah, too. Well, that would have been on Mustafi, to be fair. But, um, but well, it would have been on several players. Yeah, no, I, look, I'm, and again, all I'm saying is, I feel that he continues to be a bit of a liability. And in this game, the fact that we're not evaluating him as much that way is sort of that he wasn't punished to the extent that he could have been. There was one moment where um, Sabayos takes the ball or credited, off. I think, for the extent he could have been. Yes. And, I mean, and, but, by but, and large, we kept this very, very dangerous team under control. And, like, he was a significant part of it. What he and Mustafi did, nipping in, uh, take the ball from people. Like, you'd see it from Koscielny all the time. Didn't get a lot of credit for it, apart from later in his career. I mean, that shit matters. It, it, it's... Arteta's looking for a particular style. We pressed, we gave them a hard time all the way through that game. He knew what he was asking for and he got it. Yeah, all I'm saying is, look, at the at the pointy end of the pitch, a guy like Saka can have a bad game, score the winning goal, and you're now analyzing his game differently because I think at the at the top half of the pitch, top third, the things you we do right... a very the, poor game. Well, what I would say Saka. is, but, but here's what I'm saying. I think at the top of the pitch, the things you do right are what define your performance. A goal, an assist, winning a penalty. At the bottom half of the pitch, the bottom third, towards your goal, it's the things you do wrong that define your game. So you can have 89 good minutes as a defender, but if you do something brain-dead terrible that costs you a goal, that defines your pride. Look, I don't want to spend any more time on Cole in a 2-0 away win that was a big performance. We disagree here. I thought it was a poor performance from a player who, to me right now, looks like the obvious place where we can just slide in another piece and, and be better. But the job got done. I mean, look... He did some things good in this game. I will not dispute that. I think the things he did bad in the game, we we got away with. Now, Clive, the the players that maybe deserve the most credit in this game are not the players who started the game, but the players who finished it. I thought the subs all influenced the game really importantly. Lacazette makes the point safe. Maitland-Niles absolutely shut everybody down. He was fantastic on the left-hand side. We, you know, It's one thing for him to play as a right-back where he... he has done well, but this is on the left side. He comes in. He's such a good stand-up tackler, which I think against the kind of challenging players he was facing is important. Um, you know, Willick scuffed a shot, probably should have scored, but but was influential right away. And I think actually, did he give the ball to Lacazette for the goal? I think he has the assist. So, yeah, did. Yep. so I mean, these are good substitutions that go from a period where we are struggling. It adds fresh legs. We looked like we got right on top of them and it won us the game. Um you know, do you want to call out Arteta for the subs generally, the subs individually, or just the whole thing being maybe the high point of the game? Yeah, it, it was perfection. It really was. And I watched the game a few times, actually, because I was that excited about it. And there, there was a, I thought there was a delay on the Bellerin substitution. He could have come on a touch sooner. And he went, he was sort of there before the drinks break. And it sort of came just after drinks break. And you sort of think back and you think, you know, if they scored during that period, would he have been criticised for delaying it? You know, um, so, but then I was, I was just nitpicking there. So, yeah, obviously the... So, Clive, did you hear on the, were you listening to the Yarscast? They said you can't make substitutions, they think, during the drinks break, because that was a very yeah. interesting, it seemed like forever, and it's like, it was almost like he changed his mind. Yeah, I was I was watching. I rewatched the NBC once. I watched what you guys may may be watching, and um, mm -hmm. yep. and which I don't normally hear it from that side of the pond per se. And they would talk about the substitutions for ages, 
And then it didn't happen during the drinks break. And I thought, is he trying to break up the flow? So that bit of news today, what you're saying there, Paul, you know what? That may be, that may be something I wasn't, I wasn't aware of at the time. I'm thinking, why do you wait until after drinks? Why yeah. just do it then? Right. So, um, so we seem to get away with that, but I did feel, I did feel, I sort of said the other day on the podcast, I said, we got a couple of standing lines on the bench. I think it was the wrong, it was the wrong knife. <laughs> it's with army lines on the bench. And basically, you know, with Willock and Maitland Niles, they can do a lot of stuff. They come on the pitch and they can move, they can drive, they they can tackle, they're energetic. They are they can do a lot of things, right? So Willock is more of a scorer, but they're they're quite brave, they're quite front footed. So with with these players, I mean Maitland Niles, I've, the reason why I've always been a fan of his is is because yes, I know he lacks a bit of hunger, he looks quite lethargic and Again, but that's so easy to fix. Tell someone, be a bit more intense. There you go. You would do it or you don't. You see what I mean? There you go. It's done. And he looks so much more intense now, doesn't he? And because of he looks more intense, everyone's starting to like him. You know, he's, but look at what he can do. Look at his feet. Look at how, how he can beat people. Look how he's one-touch passing. His speed is elite. And his best games always come against the fastest opponents. He's one of those players which in my opinion is he plays well the harder the game is, which maybe tells you something about his personality. On easy days, he takes it easy. We've got some players in our team, by the way, who, who love a Norwich. You know, they love a flat track bully, and they fucking do everything in those games. And I'm looking at him, I'm going, yeah. Did, did not... Clive use the F word? Well, I get I get cheesed <laughs> off, right? Because you judge people in adversity. Judge people in adversity. You don't judge them against Norwich at home, and and I think I've watched uh, Maitland Niles play at Liverpool away, and we haven't won those games, but I've watched him run with their best runners and do really well. May night away, do really well, and that's why I've been a fan of him. Willock, we're still working out what he is, but every time he comes on late, he does really well again. Every time I buy into it, he lets me down and does the Invisible Man impression, but he's on the way up. I thought the most interesting thing about substitutions. Guys, is they all looked happy to be on the pitch, almost like they couldn't wait to get on. When they got on, you look at their faces; they were so enthusiastic. But every one of them was on it. You know, um, Lacazette like couldn't. What, uh, Arteta said about uh, Lacazette. Um, he said uh, when I asked him to come on, it took it took him three seconds to get ready. In other words, you know, no sulky. Oh, now you turn to me, shit. And then you see yeah. Lacazette's tweet after the game about how he's enjoyed every game. Or every day at Arsenal, which I'm sure isn't true, but it's, I mean, he's he's getting a tune out of these guys, and it's showing up in those subs too. They they're coming on as closers, finishers, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, so I've been I've been I've critiqued um, <laughs> Bellerin and Lacazette, and um, so I'm looking at them closely to see if, <laughs> to see if it's true or not, and they just look they could wait they could wait to get on they were they were just on it. They were just on it, and I just think that's great for me. The whole collective was 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 wonderful, but I thought the energy of those substitutions and their intent to leave an impression was what took the game away from Wolves. When Wolves looked around, they made a couple of changes, and then Wolves made what Wolves did when they made their changes. I thought it affected them more than it affected us. We adjusted to their changes really, really well, and then we got on top of them. And I thought Willock was the one that said. I am now taking this game to you and you're going to have a problem with me coming at you. And I thought that is what I like about him. He's so brave. 
so brave when he gets the ball. He does not care. He's just forward, 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 forward. It's raw, but then he creates a problem for somebody, and he did in this game. And um, he gave, you know, he was a big part in the second goal. So yeah, I loved what he did off the bench. And we all thought it was a weakness his in-game management. Well, one thing to say about his coach, he is a very fast learner. He's learning. You know what's funny? Like I, I said this in the instant reaction pod, but. This is the first time he has ever coached a football club, period. Full stop. The first time ever. So, like, of course he should be getting better. I think if you start at a baseline of him being a really intelligent football mind with a great philosophy and the ability to communicate, the part he was always going to have to add was in-game management because he'd never done it before. And now he's getting to do it. And, you know, I feel for him because he took the job at a time when he couldn't work with the team, about to be the holiday program and all those games, and he never really got a chance. And then the pandemic, he couldn't work with the team anymore. And then, you know, three quarters of the games, he's either lost a player to injury or red card at some point. So his substitution patterns are are taken away from him. And now, now that he's had some time, now that the, the games are coming frequently, I'm, I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. And, and he... um. You know, he gets the chance to work with the team more and, and get this practice and get this time. He's learning and he's and he's influencing games in a positive way. Paul, you want to just quickly, quickly, quickly add to that so then uh, I can ask him about the individuals? Yeah, no, I'd like to add slowly to that. Okay, um, so I think, slowly would be fantastic. Please add slowly. Yeah, but it, layer, it layers nicely onto what you and Clive are saying, I think. Um, look, this COVID-19 thing... <clears throat> Um, this this strange period we're going through with no crowds in in the stadiums is terrible, but it it might be good for Arsenal because you know he talked I think it was after the last game about why is he always shouting at Danny, and and there's two reasons for that Danny speaks Spanish, but more importantly Danny can hear him, um, and so Arteta more than anybody more than Klopp or Pep you know the players are probably delighted not to hear from Pep with the crowd shouting behind him because they've heard, been hearing from him for three years shouting at them in training sessions, on pitch, etc. But Arteta's point is, these guys can hear me. That's why he's talking all the time. So our we're a team that has the most to learn about how Arteta wants them to play. It's a much more dynamic conversation on the pitch now with Arteta on the sidelines and them able to hear him. So that when somebody like Maitland, this, it could be something like this that turns Maitland-Niles' career around at Arsenal, where these 20 minutes or whatever that he's getting on the pitch, because he he's understanding live, it's like having a, an earpiece in his ear saying, no, move here, do this, do that. The coaching these guys are getting, the ramp up they're getting to Arteta's game plan live, you know, Draw, it's like the formation doesn't matter once the games start. Well, the coach's plan doesn't matter that much once the games start. Next time he gets to talk to them is 45 minutes later, except now he's got a drinks break, uh, as Clive talked about. Every quarter he gets to coach these guys, which changed the momentum in this game. So our rate of acquisition of Arteta's thinking within the team may save players like... Uh, uh, God forbid Kolasinac, but Maitland-Niles, Willock, these uh, Enketia, all these, Danny Ceballos' career with us, we're now talking about the fact that we're in conversations with Real Madrid, who knows if that'll happen or not. But all of these players, which, you know, it's on a knife edge, whether they can, whether we have the time to build the trust between the player and the coach and the system, and whether the people buy into the system, Obama Yang, right? We don't. We have a very short runway here for Obama Yang to think we're heading in the right direction and somewhere 
that he would want to stay. Now, of course, there's this debate mm-hmm. about whether we should be signing up a 31-year-old or whatever. But these these are the choices the manager wants to have because people have got on the boat, understand the plan, and that we don't waste a game like Wolves where we made a mistake because they didn't re- understand that the manager wanted them to pivot in terms of how we were playing. So uh, I mm. think this is a really exciting time for Arsenal and Arteta because the players can hear the coach nonstop all the way through the game. Yeah, I, I mean, it, contrast that with like Jose Mourinho hilariously slumped in his seat all game for Spurs with his arms folded <laughs> and that smug look on his face. And I'm just like, mate, you could be coaching your team, but like you'd rather just sit there and pout, which is beautiful because you're going to be there for many years collecting a big check for being terrible. Um Tim, as as far as the the subs go, I, I mean, I don't know that you could find one who who shouldn't come in for some credit and and some recognition. Is there one that you felt was the more important of the group? I think Maitland Niles was was phenomenal and continues to show that as long as he's interested in it, there's a role for him here. But equally, Alexander Lacazette, who had started to feel almost superfluous, almost you know, not to say unusable is is overstating it, but but not an asset comes in to touch bang, he, you know, hits the post and goes in finally, you know, something goes for him and, and maybe that unlocks something that we could desperately need. It wouldn't hurt to have your 50 million pound striker scoring some goals again. So do, do you have one or two of them you particularly want to call out for some credit? Yeah, I'll, I'll say Joe Willock um, because I think he's kind of done the same thing in two away games now, um, which is kind of either score or or set up and and you know there there are assists and there are assists and this was an assist um um goals late in games to seal away games and and it just you know just for where he is in his development at the moment that that probably seems like you know when we think about a player's role we obviously think about their position on the pitch but at the moment Willock really really comes into that kind of closer territory and and you know a part of that i think is because he carries the ball quite well he he travels well with it um and he's come on on that right hand side which wouldn't say was his natural position at all but it's a position where arsenal have struggled um for a bit of penetration when you look at who's been coming off early in games it's saka nelson pepe the the last three away games the right winger is the first one that's been replaced by arteta which speaks to some difficulties down down that side that we've spoken about at length recently um but i just wonder if if willock is just that guy that at the moment well i don't wonder i think uh quite firmly that that definitely one use he has um, sorry, that sounded really dismissive. <laughs> one use he has, um, one one of the uses he has um, at the moment is, you know, coming on, yeah, coming on when we're when we're one nil de- when we're one nil up rather, um, and you know, Arteta spoke about we're not quite in the position where we can batter teams for ninety five minutes, and we were coming under pressure against the likes of Sheffield United, Southampton and Wolves. He's just come on on that right-hand side. And perhaps just when the game's a bit unstructured and there's a bit more space and he can do that push and run um, type thing, or, you know, the the goal he scored at Southampton where he was he was quick on the rebound, maybe just the freshness of legs and maybe just his style just suits a slightly, when the game state is slightly more unstructured, the other team's chasing um, you know, I, I'm not sure he's quite in the place yet where I want him at number 10 against a deep block. Um, albeit, you know, was it against Sheffield United? He he kind of, he took up good positions there, even if his, his technique wasn't quite there at times. Mm. But, 
yeah, I, I thought that, re- I mean, of course it made a real difference because he, he has a massive part in the goal, should score as well um, thereafter. I should correct myself on the uh, instant reaction pod because I question whether Lacazette slightly scuffed his shot and he didn't. And I was conflating that with Willock having yeah, a shot he, he from exactly the shot. same yeah. position mm-hmm. and yeah, really scuffing it. Um, and, and he is wont to do that at times. But, you know, if and and maybe this is like, too niche a scenario um but if you're one nil up and you want someone to carry the ball you know through the thirds for you when there's a bit of space perhaps inside their fullback uh, that that's worked really well for us so i think that worked quite well i i think i i because i won't say maitland niles again but maybe just to expand on my thought about whether it was pre-planned um you know both fullbacks came off and were replaced and uh and that I think to some extent has to have been pre-planned. I'd say he probably did it with Cedric because he's not played 90 minutes for months and months. Um, but you, you have to think it went through his mind that, okay, I've got, you know, I've got four guys here who can, who can play wing back, um, probably five, including Kalasinac. Why don't I use that? Why don't I lean into that? And with the exception of Tierney, none of them are absolutely holding down their spots. Um, and it just it just minded me a little bit of, um, you know, we've spoken about the way Pochettino used to use his fullbacks. He used to have four and he'd rotate them fairly regularly. I don't know whether we'll do that, whether we'll keep doing the in-game thing, particularly against teams like Wolves who attack down the sides and they give you a real hard time down there. Um, you don't get a hard physical time, I don't think, in the middle against Wolves. Um you know, Neves and Martinho are, are not those types of players, I think, but their wing backs and Traore, they, they really, really run you down those flanks. So I, I wonder whether it was just for this game, whether it's something we'll see more often, whether he'll generally rotate them. But, you know, change, changing up the wing backs, it, it's different, isn't it, when you've got three at the back and two wing backs. I think changing your full backs in a back four is perhaps a bit more dangerous because you need that cohesion throughout the game. But in a back five, when you've got your three centre halves and your wing backs are right on the exteriors of the team, I wonder if there that you know there is that element to which you can say, okay, we'll do we'll do 60 minutes, particularly while you've got five subs, we'll do 60, 65 minutes, and then we'll rotate them out. And and again, I I thought that that was a really effective change because Suarez played well, Bellerin played well when he came on, Maitland Niles played well when he came on to it. Like all four of them did their job, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a great day for Arteta getting the strategy seemingly spot on, certainly making the important tweaks at the two drinks breaks and the substitution spot on. Clive, the the one thing I think you have to say now is he's clearly got buy-in, he's clearly got a philosophy that can give us some structure, make us harder to beat, get us some results. Uh but you know, you'd have to say the next step that probably has to fall in line here at some point is creating more chances. I mean, through seventy-seven minutes against Wolves, we had three shots. So, you know, you'd you'd like to say that that that's an area where you can prove. To be fair, um, since Project Restart, we played Man City, one of the best defensive records in the league. We played Sheffield United, one of the best defensive records in the league. Actually, allowed one fewer goal than City. We played Wolves, one of the best defensive records in the league. Um, we have Leicester next the second best defensive record in the league. We have Liverpool in three games, the best defensive record in the league. Uh, Spurs actually concede some goals, so who knows, maybe we'll batter them 10-0, as I often say. But, you know, I mean, it is it is not just that we're not creating tons of chances, that we're also playing teams that are pretty good at preventing that. And against Norwich, we we did 
you know, hammer them 4-0, admittedly not with a, a swashbuckling attacking performance all the time. But so as we look forward now, we have this blueprint for being solid. We're playing some really tricky teams, and there is a St. Totteringham's Day alert. I don't want to say, I don't want to breathe it into existence yet or jinx it out of existence, but we have four points on them. They have a game in hand, and we do play them. I don't think home and away particularly matter anymore. There's no fans, and, you know, everyone's staying quarantined anyway, so it's not like sleeping in your your own bed versus a hotel room. I mean, it's just, it's it's all the same. So is the next big step just being a little more, um, a little more dangerous in the attack? Is is that what Arteta has to do? Or given the fixtures that we have coming up, should the job be to simply build on this structure that we've got for now and then worry about layering in a, a more effective, devastating attack when he's got time in the summer and going into next season? Yeah, I think if we, you know, we're going to do our squad building podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be a good one. I cannot wait. Uh, and you know, let's be honest, right? Let's be brutally honest. We're, we're getting used to some of our wide players. We're starting to like them and the options that are appearing and we can see what they can and can't do. But if we're going to talk squad building, we're talking straight down the middle, yeah? yeah. With, and, and that's what we're really talking about. So what really excited me about this game was our ability to win jewels and be competitive. But there's another layer to that. When you win jewels, competitive, and you take people away, you take people out, you, com- oh, you commit them and you move past them. And we're not there yet technically or physically down the central areas and so what we have is a very good pressing center forward who didn't make enough runs early in this game particularly into the right channel there were opportunities there Mustafi was begging him to make runs he didn't do it Abamyang although he's a maverick player he's quite a hard player to play off of but I still like to see him do it do you know what I mean as a center forward so we're asking him to be almost like the the high up creator when he's, where his instinct is to look for opportunities to get into space for himself and help his team. So we're not getting no we're not getting no glue there. And and Saka wants to provide glue, but he's obviously not in his best position to do so. I thought some of his receiving turnaround and second in, second effort was a little bit poor in this game. And so which is unlike him because he's got a lovely way to pass and and you know he's, he's a great player because I do I did listen to Tim's point about him going on the outside. But what he does to get on the outside is he does about eight, four, eighty-five things to get on the inside, then flat foot you to go on the outside, and that's why I think potentially he will be a left eight or a number ten, because the ability to recognise which side to go to get where he wants to go, and then he can go both sides and take right foot shots, left foot shots. He's going to be so exciting as he develops and develops manpower, etc. So that's going to be great. So your point about zone fourteen hasn't left me. You know, that podcast hasn't left me and what we're going to do in that space and how we're going to get around that zone to do our thing. I think Pepe is a big part of that. As we develop going forward, I do think we need somebody on the left-hand side of a 4-3-3 high up that Saka can connect to as a left eight. And that is the investment for me. And it's somebody very tricky, very technical, highly technical player that can drive people both ways, run through lines, but also receive it on with his back to go on the half turn. Allows Aubameyang to be him and allows Pepe to be him. And it gives, them, gives us some connection there in the centre of the park. And I think that's our development. Just It's, it's obvious to me now, particularly as Aubameyang stays, we're looking for that left-sided player, probably a righty on the left, 
just to not mimic what we have already in that zone and um, and use Martinelli as a player that goes, goes across the front line. Uh, he stays with his development and, and takes minutes that way. So, um, so yeah, uh, your point's there. And I think it's just how to play a quality, mate, at the moment. We haven't quite got it. You know, we haven't got the ability to challenge people to the point where they where they where we can leave people behind, either with carrying or sharp passing and following up. So that's where we are. Mm. Well, we're going to get an interesting test, I think it's fair to say, with what we have coming up. Leicester are awful right now, and they may be without Madison and Chilwell, which would be great. Um, but defensively, they're extremely solid, as we discussed. Spurs are bad, but they're Spurs and it's the Derby. Liverpool, hopefully drunk and on the beach. City, hopefully focused on Europe. You just don't know at this time right now who's going to be the tough team to play, how you can lose to a Brighton, you know, and maybe beat a City in the in the Cup semifinal. We will see. Um, but it, it, it's... I think for me, it is exciting to see Arteta looking like he's really confident in the position now and making the decisions in-game on match day. Um, And maybe Pepe getting a day off in the midst of all this doesn't hurt either. Having a a fresh, you know, an even fresher Pepe who can come in and really hurt people with what he does. I think for Arteta to really take us up to the next level, he will have to solve for a little more midfield penetration, progression, progression, and ultimately chance creation. But one step at a time. Everything was broken, and now many things are not broken, and that's a good sign. Uh, we will actually have a second podcast today. Over on Patreon, we'll have a preview of the Leicester game with Scott. So, <laughs> And he'll be talking about uh, um, top four chances, Europa League chances, St. Totteringham's Day chances, all with his model and stuff like that. So if you're interested, that'll be coming out shortly. More pods than we can record or than you can listen to. That is our new motto. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. My name's Alex Pithick. Bot me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives a five-star review. Write nasty things about no one because everybody's going to be potting today. So just be nice for a change. Um, yeah, really, really, really good. I, I, You know, uh, Tim, I know you said it on the on the instant reaction pod, but the nerves were back for this game. It's starting to feel big again. And I realize, look, we're still miles off where we want to be. But the fact that it's starting to feel important, like there are stakes again, uh, that's a good feeling that we haven't had for a while with the football. So I, for one, welcome... Uh, crapping myself behind the couch as I watch Arsenal. In any event, uh, plenty of games still. I guess we we play tomorrow. So uh, we'll have another pod for you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Uh, creeps on this petty pace from day to day. And all our days are lighted. What is it? Don't know. You're tomorrow on your tomorrow own, and tomorrow creeps on You're this drowning. petty pace. Get anyway. off. You're terrible. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> we love you. We'll talk, we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Let's nail. <laughs>